Uh, let's open in prayer for, for this message. Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity we've had to sing some songs. We thank you for how much you love us and care for us. Lord, we ask that you be with us as we look at your word and that you will open to us what you want us to know from this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the book of 3 John. It'll be one page in your Bible. It's right before the book of Jude, which is also one page in your Bible, most likely. <laughs> and right after 2 John, and then after Jude is Revelation. Uh, 1 John. Oh, 3 John, excuse me. And there's only one chapter, so we're starting at chapter, uh, verse 1. <laughs> chapter 1, verse 1. <laughs> or we could just say verse 1. <laughs> the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I have loved, in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, even as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you, have, you do faithfully whatever you do to the brethren and to strangers which have borne witness of your charity before the church, whom if you bring forward on your journey after a goodly sort, you, do, you shall do well. Because that for, this name, name, for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles, we therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. This is the Apostle John's greeting to... Gaius, and we talked last week that Gaius, I believe he was the same companion that Paul talked about in his journeys, and because he's talking about Gaius as being the pastor of a church. There is no proof to this, and a lot of people say we don't know who this Gaius is, and it's quite possible we don't know who he is. But we do know John is commending him as a pastor, a leader of the church, which tends to make me believe it's the same Gaius that you know, traveled with Paul, was arrested with Paul, you know, uh, was, uh, and walked with Paul. But it's not really that important, but it says the elder. We know that John at this point in time is probably in his 80s. We believe that this was written from Ephesus, which is where John was the senior pastor, the bishop. He was the one that was over there. And he's writing to Gaius, and it says to the well-beloved Gaius, esteemed, worthy of honor. Isn't that a title that you would love to have that somebody say, well-beloved? Somebody that I esteem. You know, worst thing you want to have is somebody, oh, that person? I don't, you don't want to be around that person. <laughs> now, there's another person in this letter that we're going to read about where, where John says that. You don't want to be around this person who thinks he's something. We'll go back into him next week. But for Gaius, it's well-beloved. The esteemed brother. He says, I like remembering you. You know, I think very highly of you. And it says, I love in the truth. Now, this is something that there's a word that truth is used often in this, in this uh, book. And we want to think about truth. In our day and age, we're trying to hear people say, well, that's your truth. Or that's what you believe. Or there's no absolute truth. But in reality, when the Bible speaks of truth, it literally means what is true all the time in any circumstance. And, you know, this is something important for us to remember. In our day, as we're getting away from God, we're getting away from truth, people want to tell you, well, there is no truth. 
And what does that mean? If we separate ourselves from God's truth on topics, then anything happens. And we're seeing our world go into anything can happen. God claims that divorce, he hates divorce, and yet many years ago we got to this whole idea of no-fault divorce. We're going to ignore what God says and just say, if you, don't even, you, know, you just don't like each other anymore, just get divorced. Throw out God's way. We came to homosexual marriage, and right now the government is trying to go and allow homosexual marriage, and God says homosexuality is a sin. As soon as the Supreme Court announced that homosexual marriage was okay, you had every other perverted form of, of sexual activity trying to be accepted. Why? Because you took the anchor away, and once you take the anchor away, anything's permissible. God calls lying differently than we most think. Most of us think that if we don't tell you something we know, but we didn't say it, we haven't lied. But God says that if you don't tell the whole truth, you've lied. God's definitions are very strict and straightforward. And when we break the anchor from his word, we have nothing to, nothing to hold on to our lives. For us as Christians, we need to grab hold of God's word and say, it is true and then try to live up to that truth, or at least be aware that we're not living up to his truth. And this is what John is going to say over and over again, truth. You know, and we want to think about this, because in our world, it is interesting to see our world drifting further and further away from God. And we're told we're in a post-Christian era, and we really are. We're, we're way beyond anything that's related to the Bible and God and Christian morals. And as we look around us, we see darkness. And this is why when we sang this song, I thank God for the lighthouse, we need to be that light shining on a hill that says, I'm representing God's truth. Now, that's not going to make us popular with the world. <laughs> the world is not going to like us when we say, this is what God says. We will be called judgmental. We will be called hypocrites when we don't live up to it. But we know that God has a truth, and we need to do what we can to live up to his truth and hold that truth as a mirror to ourselves and to the world. And this is something that we're going to have to do. And it's going to become harder and harder to be a Christian, be a true Christian. When we say, no, God says not, they're going, well, I don't want to hear I don't want to hear you judging me for that. And you know, we've all been there where we feel like we're being judged because we're in a sin and we don't want to give it up. And then eventually we come to realize it is a sin and, we, and we, then we can start giving it up. Because when you don't accept something as a sin, you'll never deal with it. It's really easy to say, well, I'm not going to read God's word because I don't want to know what I'm doing is wrong. Even though my heart's telling me it's wrong, you know, well, I never knew. <laughs> you know, my conscience told me it was bad. Uh, I had a bad feeling when I did it, but I didn't read the Bible, so I didn't know that it was wrong. Have you been reading your Bible? Have you found those times when you come across a verse and says, oh, God, why did you have to show me that verse? <laughs> Uh, now I have to decide whether I'm going to obey you or not obey you. And so we want to be able to live in his truth and hold that mirror up to ourselves and say, God, am I living the way you want me to do? Then he says in verse 2, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. And this word for prosper is to be granted success. Now, most of us in the world think of, you know, prospering as having lots of money in the bank. Okay? Now, unfortunately, most people can't handle a lot of money in the bank because I've seen this. I've seen people get lots of stuff. 
And the next thing you know, they stop coming to church. They stop going to, you know, going to things because they've got to use their stuff. And you go, well, where, where have you been? Well, you know, I've been up in the, in the mountains in the cabin, or I've been down at the beach at the beach house. Uh, had to take the RV out and, and go camping. Uh, you know, I had to, go, had to go use the boat and do some skiing, you know. Uh, you know, I had to take the quads out and run, run around the, you know, run around for a couple days. And you go, oh, all right. You got blessed and left God. Now, a lot of people don't get blessed because God knows that they would leave him if they got blessed. But, you know, for me, I love that God gives me peace. That is the greatest blessing that I can think he can give any one of us as a Christian. Peace. The peace that passes understanding when bad things seem to be happening and you just have this unbelievable peace. And you go, God is in control. And he says, I pray that you will prosper and then be in good health. And this word for, for health was a very interesting one as well because it literally means to be free from any error. Okay. And we know this word because we use it all the time. We have physical health, which we have no control over. You're either healthy or you're not healthy. Your body, you know, and yes, when we're younger, we do lots of things maybe to make us, our bodies rebel when we're older. But uh, you know, part of this is also we talk a lot nowadays about mental health. Just being at peace, no error in our thinking, no, and being able to walk about in, in a peaceful condition. And in this word in Greek encompasses all of that. To be at peace, to be in health. Uh, and just one of those great things is when we trust God, we're hiding in God. You know, I hope you all have experienced this, the peace that comes from trusting in God. God is in control. You know, God is good. God has a good plan for us. You know, and God is not up there saying, you know, well, how miserable can I make this person's life just to see, see what they'll put up with? No, that's not what he's trying to do. That's what a lot of people picture of God is. A lot of people, I mean, I've talked to them, especially non-Christians, but even Christians. They got this picture of God up there with a great big hammer just waiting for you to do something wrong or lightning bolts or whatever you might want to say. All right, who, who, can, I, who can I hit next? <laughs> that's not God. God loves us. Does that mean he won't discipline us when we deserve it? No, he's a good, good parent. He will dis discipline when we need it. But as a good parent with true discipline, he's not up there saying, I just can't wait to see who I can spank today. You know, my, my dad said the famous statement when he was, it's time for spanking, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And I remember as a kid saying, yeah, right, I'm the one that's going to be in pain. What do you mean it hurts you? Then I had kids. <laughs> and I realized... But it does hurt to inflict pain upon your children if you really love them. But if you really love them, you know that the pain is necessary. And I've always told people, if you can discipline your child without feeling pain or discomfort in disciplining them, don't. <laughs> because you've got other problems you have to deal with. Because then you're not disciplining. And God is up there saying, I want you to be in health mentally. And then, as your soul prospers... I love that we can hide in God. I love that when problems come along, that I can go to Romans 8, 28 and say, for God said that all things work together for good for those who called according to his purpose. All things. Not some things. Not most things. 
but all things work together for good. If we have a long enough time per perspective. You know, for most of us, we look and go, God, how can this be good? I broke my leg and I was in the hospital for three weeks. You know, well, God says it's going to be for good. What good? I don't know. <laughs> I can't tell you what good it's going to be half the time. Half the time, I don't know why what I go through is for my good. And I believe that God will show us when we get to heaven that this is what is for good. Sometimes he gives us a glimpse on this world why it was for good. Sometimes we suffer so that others can see us serving God while we suffer and be encouraged themselves. And you may not know that that was what you went through until you get to heaven and God says, see, you went through this and, they, and these people decided to serve me better because of what you went through. We don't know what the good is going to be until we get to heaven. And there's been a description of this, and I've used this several times. It's like if you do needlepoint. Now, if you do needlepoint and you come in one side and you go on the back side, we work on the side that looks terrible, where all the knots are and the hanging strings and, and a, a piece of string goes from one side to the other and, and all these things. And, and we look at it and say, whoa, what a, messy, what a messy thing. We turn it over, and if you're any good at it, <laughs> I would, I, it wouldn't work out for me, but if you're any good at it, you end up with a beautiful picture or pattern on the other side. This is what's going on in our world. We see this tapestry that God is making from the wrong side. And we go, God, uh, how can any of this be good? How, you know, what, what, what is going on with this? And God's saying, just wait. Wait till you see it from the other side. And we want to be able to be able to trust God. Trust him. If we truly trust that he is truthful in what he says, that all things are for good. That he is sovereign and that he's in control. That he says, hide in me. That he says, I gave my life so that you could go to heaven. If we start just living in these truths, what a blessed life we will have. Now, is it easy to do all these things? Of course not. If it was easy, everybody would do it. You know, living the walk with God is not an easy thing on one side of the coin, but it is easy because all we do is surrender to God and he does the work. Getting us to surrender is the hard part. Most of us don't like to let others be in control, even if it's God. And I was witnessing to somebody and goes, I'm not giving up my control of my life to anybody. And I go, well, number one, you're not in control in the first place. You may think you're in control, but God has got such a plan for you, you should want him to take control of your life. And we want to be able to understand true peace, true understanding will come from giving in to God. And I hear the testimonies all the time from people in the church coming up to you. I went through this. Man, it was so easy. I just, I let God do it. Man, look what he, and he did this. You know, we need to share that with one another. When we, we see God doing something, we need to share it with one another so we can all get those excitement times. And John is telling these guys that he does that. And he says, For I, great, I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, even that you walk in the truth. So John's saying, you had guys come from your church that told me all about what you were doing. How you're walking in truth. How you're living for God. Do you take pleasure that others can say good things about you? you know, there are people in this world that people won't say anything good about. There's nothing good that you look at their life. Now, I don't really believe that there's anybody that's that, that bad, but their bad is just so strong that people look at them and saying, no, there's nothing good about them. 
What does your life say about you? And others look at you. Do they see Christ and a Christian, or do they see somebody that's a hypocrite? Now, we all have the problem of hypocrisy in our life where we do things that we wish we hadn't done. We sin. But what is our general lifestyle? When people look at us, they say, I see Christ in that person. They may not be able to say there's Christ, but that person, they might even say that person's weird. (laughs) And it really is true. If, If we're living as Christians, we are going to live so different from the world that we're going to seem to the world as strange, weird people. And if that's the testimony they have, they'll say, praise God, as long as it's for Christ. <laughs> Not just because you're being weird. You know, I'm going to paint my house purple with pink polka dots on it. That would be weird. <laughs> and that's not for Christ. <laughs> uh, but, you know, are you looked at and saying, I just don't understand that person. They, they're never, you know, they go out and they don't drink like the rest of us. They don't go out and they, you know, don't get drunk. They're not using drugs. They're not doing whatever it might be. They're not sleeping around. They're weird you know, and we go, thank God. I'm living for Christ, and the testimony is, this is somebody that is different from us. What does our life say to people? You know, it said that a picture speaks, uh, is, uh, speaks better, louder than a thought, or your actions speak louder than, a, than your words. And it really is true. You can say all day that you're a Christian, you go to church, you love God, and then they look at you, and, and you're a liar, a thief, a drunkard. And they're going to look at you and say, I don't know about that person. What is our testimony? Gaius' testimony was, walked after God. Was he perfect? Absolutely not. Nobody's perfect. But his testimony was, you can trust him. Usually he's going to walk after God. And his testimony was a good testimony. And that testimony is something that we want. Now, we are told, you know, when we go out, you know, our testimony will speak to people. And there was a... Back about a decade or two ago, we had this thing called lifestyle evangelism where just live a good life and people will eventually ask you about Jesus. Well, they might. (laughs) But, you know, at some point, we have to speak to evangelize. We have to tell people that God loves them. We have to show them that God loves them. Our life should match up to our words. Okay, But we also need to speak. When we did the evangelism class, it talked about how some people will say, well, I want to get to know these people really well, invest into them, get to know them, then I'll tell them about Jesus. The only problem with that, and they went on to speak about this, the only problem is the more you have invested in a friendship, the less you're going to tell them about Jesus. Because you've built your relationship on not about Jesus, and then you're going to introduce Jesus. I'm going to tell you, if you're having some people you want to be friends with, get Jesus into the, into the picture early. They'll either reject you early on, or you'll have a better relationship with them because of Jesus. And if they're going to reject you early on, they would have rejected you later on after you'd spent a long time trying to develop this friendship with them. And how many of you have people in your life that you haven't told Jesus about, and you just go, well, gee, if I tell them about Jesus, they might not want to talk to me anymore. We all have somebody in that way if we've not brought Jesus into our, into our life early. You know, we hear it all the time. People say, well, I had guests, so I couldn't come to church. Well, it's kind of interesting to me that if you have guests or family that don't know you go to church, and they're going to be offended that you say, well, I'm going to church Sunday, there's a problem. I was hearing Ernie and Rogers talk about that this week you know, on the radio. You know, that when he has guests, they know that he's going to go to church. Of course, he is a pastor, so that's an obvious thing. But, you know, but you know, again... 
It always has struck me funny when somebody says, well, I can't go to church because I had guests. And I understand on one side, you only see them once every few years, and you want to spend as much time as possible. But at the same time, do they not know you go to church? You know, they, you know my dad, when we were raising up, if somebody came to visit us, they either went to church, if they, especially if they stayed anywhere else, they either went to church or they left the house. That was his rule. He goes, my kids have to go to church. You're staying with us. I don't care if you go to church or not. You want to go out to lunch or brunch or see the sights, but during this time of church, we, the, the house will be empty. Most of the time, they came with us. They knew we were a Christian family. They went with us. And if they didn't, they went out and saw the sights. But what keeps us from sharing with it? What does our testimony say to people? You know, and you know, it's up to each one of us what we do. This was, I was raised this way, so it was, it was fine, fine with me. And when I heard Adrian Rogers talk about it, I'm going, wow, that's, that's exactly what I was taught to, to live by. But you know, what keeps us from serving God? People notice. And then it says that he rejoiced. And I love that. John rejoiced. Do you realize that your disciple or your teachers rejoice when they see life changing? I can tell you, I, and I talk about this church, I tell, I tell people over and over, there are so many people whose lives have been totally changed in time. And I love it. I love that people are getting more spiritual, more in love with God. I hear testimonies about things that appear bad, and they tell me about how God turned it around and did something great in it. We need to be at that point. You know, be able to rejoice. You know, when we're having our kids and our kids get promoted, do we say, oh, no, my kids are making more money than me? You know, or do we go, oh, that's a really good job. Now, I've had my parents that get upset that their kids are making more money than they do. Uh, but then again, I also remember when I first started working, I made nothing. <laughs> you know, uh, I remember my first job, my first job that wasn't my own work, I was only making $150 a week. And for some of you sitting in the room, you go, well, you made that much? <laughs> you know, and I realized there was a time when people only made $50, $60 a, a week on a month. You know, it was you know, a, a simpler time. But are we, as good parents, we usually rejoice with our children when they get promotion, when they get, the, get a... Get a, get a uh, something good happening. As leaders in the church, we get excited. If you're discipling somebody, you should be excited when they learn something about God. and Maybe even go further than you. The pilgrim said, you know, we want to be the base so our kids can start on our shoulder and the people can start at a higher level. And you know, is that our goal? My goal, if we can get somebody in this church that can be a better teacher and better studier than me, I would be ecstatic. Because that would be somebody that just grown so much and to be able to lead. I'm never worrying about that because it's only what God gives me to do in the first place. We need to be excited when somebody gets successful in the church, in, in God's walk. John was saying, I am taking great pleasure in you. I don't know how well he knew Gaius, especially if he was with Paul, but you know, he still took pleasure in him. And he uh, says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I love it when my kids call me up and talk about what they've been doing for God, how, how they've been improving, what God is doing. And I've told you all, I'm looking forward to being whatever I can do from 3,000 miles or 2,000 miles away with my grandson. I'm going to do whatever I can. And I shared with you, when, when I visited him, when they visited here, I would just sing to him. 
And I would just sing Christian songs to him. And I know, I know he didn't understand any of it, but those are going to get into his brain. I'm going to lift him up, and I'm going to talk to him about Christ, just as I know his father and mom are going to do. But we're going to encourage, we're going to build upon what they, what they teach him and encourage him. Got two up-and-coming granddaughters. When my daughter gets married, you know, she's marrying somebody with two kids. We automatically have somebody to disciple that are local. And, you know, this is going to be a fun time as I get to be able to instill God's truth in them and watch them grow. And watch them grow. Verse 5, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do and to the brethren and the strangers. Do you... Are you faithful to God in what you do? This is something that is very hard in life, to be faithful, to honor God in all that we do. And, you know, this is kind of an interesting thing, you know, when somebody comes and they need help. How willing are we to help them? How willing are we to forget past events? That doesn't mean we take somebody who's always trying to, to get something for nothing. Okay, there's lots of these people, and when I worked on a benevolence committee, we had the same people come every month for the same bills. And at some point, you just have to say, no, we're not the ones supporting your bad habits. Okay, now if they had a real problem, and we, at the place where I did benevolence, we had a system. If they were really that poor, they could sit down with a group of the committee, we'd go over their entire budget, and if they really, truly needed help every month, we would help them. Not very many people ever took us up on that. Because when they did, we'd find out that they smoked three cartons of cigarettes in a month. They had three cars and a, and a motorcycle. And say, okay, no, cut the cigarettes out, cut the alcohol out, and all of a sudden you've got plenty of money to survive. No, we're not helping you. But we did have somebody that we actually helped. The church gave them money every month because they actually needed it. You know, and that's a place where we're called. If somebody really, truly needs the help, we want to help them. If they're living a bad lifestyle causing them problems, <laughs> we want to help them clean up their lifestyles so that they don't need the help. But you know, we as Christians sometimes have this problem, and it's really big when somebody becomes new in Christ. And if you can remember, especially if you got saved late in life, how your friends didn't believe that you had changed, maybe your family members <laughs> didn't believe you had changed, uh, you're doing what? You're reading your Bible? You're going to church? Not you! <laughs> Uh, how long is this phase going to last? <laughs> but if we're truly following God, we do well. We support what God asks us to do. We lift him up. And people notice it because that's the next thing in verse, uh, um, verse 6. Which had borne, borne witness of your charity before the church, whom if you bring forward on your journey after a good heart, sort, you do well. And basically, that's kind of a funny language, but he's saying if you put them on a good path to start with, you're doing a good job. As a pastor, as a discipler, as a teacher, our job is just to put people on the path. Just to put them on the path and help encourage them to stay on the path. That's the good news for me. All I have to do is teach. As long as I teach properly, I've done my job. Now, I also will visit and encourage and all the other things that go along with it. But my job is a pretty easy one. All I've got to do is get you on the path. <laughs> now, if I do a bad job at that, God has a greater judgment upon me for not doing that. And if you're a teacher, discipler, he, there's that, that issue. But you know, for all of us, we should be teaching somebody in our life. We've talked about this several weeks now. 
Who are you discipling? Who are you instructing in your life? Could be a family member, could be a friend, could be a neighbor. But who are you reaching out to with God's truth? Very important for us to be able to look at that because we are to let this life out of us. The Dead Sea in Israel is dead because it has no outlet. It's not dead because it doesn't get a lot of stuff. It's got more minerals and, and everything in it than could possibly be there, but because it has no outlet, nothing grows in the sea, nothing lives in the sea, nothing grows around it. It is dead. You could be the most well-taught individual that's ever lived in Christianity and have the really dead spirit if you have no outpouring of what you're learning. Share what you learn. Tell people what you learn. This is something that I'm looking forward to when I meet with people. What is God doing? How is he touching your life? Is he real to you? This is all important stuff for us because people are looking at our lives and they're looking for something that's real. The teenagers in our day, when they get on fire for God, you see teenagers on fire for God, you see somebody that's really strong for God because they're looking for something real. When they look around and they see Christians who don't live with any kind of power, no no authority, no rules. They go, well, it's not real. I don't want to follow that. That is why we lose so many teenagers in our Christian families is because they look at their parents and their parents go to church Sunday morning when they feel like it. Read their Bible once or twice a year if they feel like it. And yet say we're Christians. And the kids look at them and say, I don't want that. There's nothing real in it. Because the world is telling them it's not real to begin with. And if they don't see their parents live out real Christianity, they're going to pull away. And we need to be careful of this. Are we putting them on the path? Are we helping to keep them on the path? Are we on the path walking with God? Are we being faithful to, this, to messages? Are we being faithful to reading God's word? Are we being faithful to pray? Do our kids see that? Do our grandkids see that? When we give advice, is it biblical advice or human advice? You know, this is something that we see all the time in our, in our churches. You know, they talk about how hard a time they're having in their marriage. And the first thing we do, well, if it's really that bad, you should divorce them or, or separate. God says he hates divorce and he wants them to work it out and be, be accepting, and yet we will go immediately to the world's advice instead of godly advice. Where do we go when we give that advice? Do we go to the book of Proverbs and say, you know, stay away from certain things that God says stay away from? Do we go to the Bible and say, this is what God says about this? I am so thankful that my dad established that into me. When I would go into my dad's office or, or go wherever, wherever, he, wherever he used his office, I'd find him praying, I'd find him reading, and I'd find him studying the Bible most of the time. You know, it had a great impact on me. I saw a living faith that was being lived out. I hope that's what my kids saw in my life. Even though early on I was a workaholic and I didn't live it out in the first 10 years of, of my marriage. I was a workaholic. I was never at home. They didn't have anything to see. But what do we show those looking at our life? Are we showing them that we're on the path? Are we helping get them on the path and keep them on the path? Or are we shoving them off the path with bad advice? And John is saying, you know, you have a great testimony and you're, you're putting them on and you're doing well. You know, and I think about this all the time. 
In Matthew 25, Jesus tells the story of the talents, and the one man gets five talents, one man gets three, the one gets one. And if you remember in there at the very end to the first two, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. For us as Christians, our goal should be to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. How do we live? How do we represent God? My greatest fear, not that I won't go to heaven. My greatest fear would be, well, come on in. You got here by my grace, so come on in. Which is better than the alternative. No, don't get me wrong. It's better than the alternative of saying, I don't know you. But I really want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to have done what I can for him and let him work through me. I want to share the gospel with as many people as I can. I want to share, teach as much as I can. Strangers, kids, family, whatever, <laughs> relatives, you know, next door neighbors. Do your neighbors know that you're a Christian? Hopefully they do. In our day and age, though, you might not even know who your neighbor is. Now, I know that I, my neighbors all know that we're Christians, number one, because I've got a crazy son who talks to everybody. <laughs> Okay, and helps everybody, and he tells everybody about, uh, about it. But I've also shared with people, you know, when I catch him outside. But my son makes sure that he talks to everybody. And you all know Samuel. He's, you know, he talks to everybody. He's not, he's not uh, afraid to go talk to anybody. And he usually will tell them about God and church and whatever else. Do we know our neighbors well enough to, do they know that we're a Christian? This is something that we need to be able to understand. Do our co-workers know we're a Christian? Now, my co-workers know that I'm a Christian. doesn't mean that I talk to them all the time about God, but they, given an opportunity, I'll let them know what God says about a topic, even if they don't want to hear about it. But I give it with the Christians. That's really good. <laughs> you know, but I shared with you all so often, I've always come in and said, you know, you know what God has done this last week or yesterday or, the, or the, over the weekend? And you can see that a lot of these guys rolling their eyes. Oh, no, he's going to tell us about God again. <laughs> do, we, do you have those actions, reactions from people? Where they kind of just roll their eyes and say, oh, no, here we go, another conversation about God. You know, just another one. Is that the reputation you have? Do you have going on the right path, getting that reputation of, well done, you've done good work? And then he says in verse 8, you therefore ought to receive such that you might be that we might be in fellowship to the truth. Do we accept others that are in Christ? Now, this is very important, and it's kind of sad where I see the church headed to as a whole in this world. I remember in the 70s and 80s when evangelists or singers would come to the church, they would usually be put up in somebody's home overnight. The visiting. Uh, Revivalist would be put up in somebody's home. The missionary that was visiting would be put up in somebody's home. Now the church says, well, we'll just get you a hotel room. No big deal. We'll just put you off over here by yourself. Uh, we'll, give you, we'll give you some money for food. Are we truly receiving one another in that way? You know, are we willing to be inconvenienced? I can remember many times getting people in our house that were just spending the night because they were visiting. Almost inevitably, if somebody visited, they went to somebody's home for, for lunch. I remember traveling every once in a while and going to church and because I was traveling by myself, end up at somebody's house. Wonderful times to feel the family of God embracing you. 
This is something that I want to see our church do so much, embrace other people and say, you are welcome. You know, not come up, all right, what are you doing? You're in my seat. And I'm glad we don't do that in this church. I, I, I was actually at a church one time visiting where a guy come up to me. I'd been, in his, I'd been there 20 minutes early for church, and he, he came up in the last five minutes and goes, excuse me, this is my seat. I go, and, you know, I didn't argue with him, but it was like, uh, okay, whatever. <laughs> but, you know, there are churches where that happens. There's churches where somebody goes and they're looked at like, who's this person in our church? We want to be embracing of people and just be very welcoming, very encouraging, and being willing to do whatever it takes. You know, when I first moved to Kingman, uh, we had a family actually invite our whole family out to dinner, which when there were f four of us at the time, that was a pretty, good, pretty big uh, event. Take four people out to dinner, you know, it was a wonderful thing, and it's like, oh, this is, and the guy turned out to be one of the guys I really liked in the church over, the, over time. I mean, it was nice that he did that, but I got to know him and found out that he was a good Christian man, and, and uh, we developed a relationship. What do we do with those that are coming in as guests? What do we do when we meet people? Do we expand, extend an arm of fellowship to them, or kind of like, well, let me see how good you are before I, you know, let me see if you deserve my attention before I, you know, greet you kindly or, or start sharing. If nothing, I'll share Christ with them. He'll <laughs> find out who they are and what they're, what they're going to do. And this is what John's telling guys. You are doing a good job reaching out and fellowshipping. We need to have that fellowship one with another. We need it as a family of God. And so we just look at this man, Gaius. Now he's the leader of this church and he's being an example. And with him being the example, I could tell you one thing about his church his church did the same thing. Okay, because I've told people, when I walk into a business and watch the employees, I can tell you a lot about the manager by watching the employees. If employees care about the customers, I can tell you that the manager cares about the customers. You know, as a whole. I mean, they're always going to have some, you know, person that's different. But as a whole, if they have this care of the customers, you know the manager cares. If they have this, you know, uh, you're troublesome, then you know the manager generally has this idea that customers are troublesome. You know, you can tell if they care about quality or not by how, you, how they're treated, how they do their job. I believe it's the same thing in a church. If the pastor is loving the people, that love is going to show out to other people. If the pastor is a, teaching them, that teaching is going to come out, because it has to. It has to come out to other people. We want to see our church become very loving. We want to see this church lifting up others and being, speaking truth, even when it's not popular. You know, we live in a world of political correctness. If you just don't say the right things, you can get in trouble. And there's nothing wrong with some of the things that they say you can't say and do. You know, but in our Christianity, we should be the most loving people, the most unracist people, because there's nothing about race that should be an issue. We all are descendants of Adam and Eve. And the second descendant we all have in, in uh, common is Noah and his wife. Everybody is family. No matter what race or nationality you are, they really are family. They may be a very distant cousin. But why do we have racism in, in the church? Because it is not substantiated by the, by the word of God. We need to be loving one another. We need to be caring about one another. We need to be lifting one another up. Treating people the way we would want to be treated. Now, that might be sad. Maybe some people are treating people the way they want to be treated, but 
you know, I hope that's not true in some cases, but are you loving one of the people you meet? Are we loving the people that we meet? Are we caring about them? Or do we say, oh no, not that person. That person's coming into the doors. I know all about that person, especially in a small town like this. Yeah, I know what that person does all week long, and they're coming in the church. You know, I'm happy if they come in the church. They might hear the word of God and might get saved. And if they get saved, they might change completely. And then their reputation might be Gaius's reputation. Look at this person. This person is growing. You know, we want to be able to love people, to lift them up, to see them, to be companions with them, to work with them. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, teach us to be more loving. Teach us to have you more fully in our life, to follow you. Lord, if there's anybody listening to this on the internet that doesn't know you, we ask that they will accept you today. They will recognize that they are a sinner destined for hell and that they need a Savior and that you died for them and accept your salvation and start walking with you and that they will contact a Christian. And Lord, for everybody in this church, we just pray that you get more and more control of their lives and that they live out a strong walk with you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.